Thank you so much, Kathy and team. Thank you so much for joining us in worship. There's nothing more wonderful in my experience than resting in the Lord and singing about his goodness and his greatness and kindness that goes from generation to genera generation and it's from everlasting to everlasting. And when we focus on the Lord, it just, it just fills me with joy. It fills me with peace. It's just so incredible. Typically, we take communion right now, but we're going to wait to take communion at the end of the message time. And um, so if you're at home, you might want to grab some juice or some bread and um, be prepared for the end of the message when we take communion together. I love that we're singing about love. We're also singing about God's power and his truth. And we've been talking about power encounters, love encounters truth encounters and mike had some great definition for these two weeks ago and he said a power encounter is when a change happens that can't be explained by natural or scientific means and when we celebrate the resurrection when we celebrate what jesus did on the cross and his resurrection three days we're celebrating a power that can't be explained a phenomena that we find hard to articulate, but when that happened, Jesus defeated the power of hell, the power of sin, the power of law and religion. I mean, how incredible is that? And that's why we sing. Um, so Kathy was just singing about a love encounter, and that's when you experience the love of God so deeply that it changes you dramatically. You just had a love encounter with God. I remember sitting on my bed as a teenager and studying the love of God and realizing that it didn't have strings attached to it, that it wasn't based on my performance. And I just remember I had a love encounter in that spot that changed me dramatically. I remember um, different truth encounters um, where lies we believed are replaced with the truth of God. And that's what I want to talk about today is truth encounters. Um, we pray that our community will be a community where people have power encounters, truth encounters, and love encounters. Um, because Jesus wants to do that with us. But um, we can all, speaking of truth encounters, we can all think of times when we believed something that isn't true. Um, for those of you who might not know who we are, my name is Sarah Rudd. My husband spoke earlier, Aaron Rudd. Our last name is Rudd. And um, there are some famous people with the last name Rudd. There's Ricky Rudd, the NASCAR racer. And there's an actor named Paul Rudd who does rom-com romances and um, Ant-Man. And he, he's just a... Uh, an actor named Paul Rudd, but um, my son one day called me from school before he was coming home, and he's like, Mom, we got a bunch of kids coming over, or he was coming home from somewhere. He's like, a bunch of my friends are coming over, and you need to know something, and I was like, okay, what? And he's like, hear me out, and you always know when your teenager says, hear me out, <laughs> that you're in for some kind of a, <laughs> some kind of an adventure, and he's like, listen, I've told everyone that Paul Rudd is our uncle. And in the next 10 minutes, you need to learn everything you can about Paul Rudd. Because when everyone gets home, they're going to think you're his sister. I'm like, oh, okay, son, sure. I'm Googling Paul Rudd, 
Um, I learned his high school, his kids' names, his dog's names, and so forth. Trying to keep up this ruse. I'm terrible at that sort of thing. Anyway, it didn't last long. The kids figured out we were not related to Paul Rudd. Now, that's a funny story. That's a, a, family, a family happening. But there are more serious lies when someone isn't who they say they are or um, when somebody's lied to you about what they're going to do or how they'll behave. Uh, maybe you've experienced a false religion where, and you've realized, wow, the scriptures I was reading weren't true. Or maybe a false doctrine, a belief about God that isn't true. Um, I told you all about the time my friend, he, his code word for God, for Jesus, was the accountant. And, and that his idea of God was that he keeps a tally of debits and credits. I was like, that, that's a false doctrine about God. There's more. Yeah, that's just false. Lies can be devastating. They can hurt and wound us and keep us in bondage. So today I want to talk first about the truth of who God is. And then I want to expose or talk about three lies that we can believe. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, I'm going to start. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament and our history with God. I'm going to go back to the book of Exodus. And it's, it's a really a critical event in the Judeo-Christian faith tradition of the Exodus from Egypt when the Israelites are trapped in bondage in Egypt. And God sends Moses to come and deliver his people from Egypt. And you might have seen the movie, The Prince of Egypt, or the Ten Commandments. Those are the stories that around this event that happens. And it, these are the events that create the Passover tradition. But I want to tell just a little part of that story to start where Moses leads his people out of Egypt. God calls Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. There's this man, his name is Moses. He lived in Egypt, but then he was out in the wilderness because he had to run from Egypt. And he's out in Egypt, he's tending sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. And while he's taking care of the sheep, in the distance he sees a burning bush. And he sees this, this bush in the distance and he's like, what is that? What's going on here? Like, how is the fire just contained in that bush? And why isn't this bush burning up? And, and he draws closer to it. And then it says in Exodus 3, 4, that God saw that Moses had stopped to look. God saw that Moses had stopped to look. And God calls out to Moses from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, yes, I'm right here. <laughs> and I just want to pause here for a minute. God notices when we stop to look at what God is doing. Right now, you don't have to be listening to this message. You don't have to be watching. You don't have to pray. Nobody's telling you you have to do these things. But when you pause and you stop and you look for what God might be doing, God sees that you've stopped to look. And he responds with your name. Not just once, but twice. He says, Moses, Moses. Tom, Tom, Susan, Susan, I see that you're stopping and I'm, you're looking. So you might not know what you're doing. You might be out in a wilderness like Moses, 
You might not understand what you're looking for, but God knows your name, and God likes that you stop and look. God says to Moses, don't come any closer. Remove your sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground. And then he says to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When God says this to Moses, Moses hides his feasts. He's afraid to look at God. He's like, whoa. He, he recognizes he's seeing something holy. He recognizes something powerful is happening here. And he recognizes like, that is God and I am man. And there's this humility. And then God says to Moses, I've seen the affliction and bondage of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. And now I've come down to help them, pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, get them out of that country and bring them to a good land. Then he says to Moses, I want you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to help my people get out of Egypt. And Moses says, no way, God, not me. Uh, what makes you think I could ever go to Pharaoh and do this, God? And God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm with you. You can do this. And Moses says, but suppose I go to Pharaoh and, and suppose I go to the people is, of Israel and I tell them the God of our fathers has, has sent me to help you get out of here. And, and they ask me, what is his name? What do I tell them? And God says to him, he says, tell them I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. I am who I am. This has always been my name, and this is how I will always be known. Whoa. There's something about the name I am. It reveals something really important about God. He has no equal. This is the truth about God. There is no one like him. I'm imagining, I'm imagining when I was a kid and I went to my parent and I was going to do something and, you know, back and forth, you know, you can't do this. No, you can't. Why can't I do this? Because I'm your parent and I said so. And in that moment, you're like, yeah, you are that you are. I'll back down. This is like, I am who I am, period. There's a no equivalent for God, but God. He always was, he always will be. I like what I read, this commentator, David Guzik, said this. Also inherent in the idea behind the name I am is a sense that God is the becoming one. God becomes whatever is lacking in our time of need. The name I am invites us to fill in the blank to meet our need. When we are in darkness, Jesus says, I am the light. When we are hungry, he says, I'm the bread of life. When we are defenseless, he says, I am the good shepherd. God is the becoming one, becoming what we need. I love that. Thank you, God. You are everything we need. I love the Gospel of John, and we've actually, over the past few months, been preaching a lot from the Gospel of John. The book of John is famous for highlighting Jesus's I am statements. It's famous for seven in particular, but if you start reading, it's everywhere in John. I am when Jesus announces that he's the Messiah to the Samaritan woman at the well. She says, I've heard about this Messiah. And Jesus says, I am he. And she goes, whoo, 
It's kind of like, whoa. Could this be? There are the seven other statements, and we've preached about almost all of these. We've said, I'm, when, when you're hungry, you have the bread of life. When you feel like you're in darkness, he's the light of the world. When you're like, I don't know how to get into the kingdom. I don't know how to get to the Father. I don't know how to get to eternity. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I am your access to the kingdom. When uh, we're lost or we feel uh, unprotected, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when you feel lost or disconnected, which is really hard in a time like this, on a day when we're not gathered together, Jesus says, abide in me. You're in the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am what you need. My prayer today is that we will have a truth encounter, a power encounter, a love encounter with the I am that I am not just today, but this week, that we'll be people of continual encounters with the I am. Romans 11 puts it this way. Have you ever, I'm reading the message version, have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God, this deep, deep wisdom? It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask his advice? I love this. Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory, always praise. Yes, yes, yes. Everything is in Christ. The I am that I am is a God without equal. And this God, this incredible, awesome, great God, come, came to earth as a baby, Emmanuel, in human form, God with us. He dwelt among us. He taught us. And then he, he died among us. In John 18, right before Jesus is, is, getting, is on his way to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's there, and Judas comes with a bunch of religious leaders and soldiers and just this battalion, a detachment of soldiers and officials. And they're carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. So this, it's almost like this mob is coming in to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, he, and Jesus knows what is happening, and he doesn't hide. He doesn't wait. He walks right out there. He walks straight to them. And he said, who is it you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. Even with Judas the traitor standing right there beside him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I forgot that part of the story until I was reading it again recently. This big, powerful mob of Pharisees, chief priests, Judas, and soldiers fell to the ground. It's like Moses at the burning bush, like, whoa, I am that I am is standing here. Such a revelation. And yet, 
Jesus asks the question, who is it you want again? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I told you, I am he. And he submits himself to being taken away to the cross. God wants to reveal the truth of who he is to you today. You may be a Moses far out in the, in the wilderness. You might even consider yourself an enemy of God, antagonistic to the things of Jesus's kingdom. But please stop, pause, look for how God wants to reveal himself to you. Look for what you need in Jesus, the I am that I am. There's no rival, no equal. Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. So there are three lies that want to keep us from this revelation. The first lie is that there is no truth. I don't know about you, but I am profoundly weary of all the different narratives and lies and ways that we're interpreting what is happening in our world right now. I know we're all weary of it. We're all frustrated. We're, we're, dis we're distrustful of the media. We're distrustful of one another. I mean, we're, we're in bad shape. But I find some comfort in knowing that this isn't a new problem. <laughs> Humanity has long struggled with discerning truth. And on my bad days, when I'm weary, I, I give in to this lie that there is no truth. I just am like, ah. So another example is after Jesus is in the garden, he ends up going to the, the religious leaders and they talk about truth. Lots of interesting things in there interesting stories in there about truth. And then he ends up, they don't know what to do with him, so they send him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And I want to tell you this story of Jesus's interaction with Pilate. Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate looks at him and he says, you know, is it true? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, are you saying this on your own or did others tell you this about me? And then he says, do I look like a Jew? Because your people and your high priest, they turned you over to me. What did you do? And Jesus says, my kingdom doesn't consist of what you see around you. If it did, my followers would fight so that I would be handed over to the Jews. But I'm not that kind of king, not the world's kind of king. And then Pilate looks at Jesus and says, so are you a king or not? It's interesting that Jesus has no interest in learning what kind of king Jesus is. But this is how Jesus responds to Pilate. He says, you tell me because I am king. I was born and I entered the world so I could witness to the truth. Everyone who cares for truth, who has any feeling for the truth, recognizes my voice. Wow. Everyone who cares for truth, who has any feelings for the truth, recognizes my voice. And then Pilate looks at him and says, what is truth? And that's the end of their conversation 
This exchange struck me so much. Pilate has Emmanuel, God with us, the I am that I am, standing right in front of him, talking about truth. And, and I, I, can, I can empathize with Pilate's cynicism or frustration or, I don't know, just like, what is truth? But he turns from Jesus, he leaves the conversation excuse me, he sends Jesus off to the next steps in his way to the cross. He's not interested in stopping at the burning bush to see what God could be up to. He's so cold, he doesn't even shade his eyes or, or fall to the ground. He can't see truth. What is truth? Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. You can count on Jesus. He's a sure foundation in shaky times. He's a hope you can rest in, a truth you can stake your life on, a truth worthy of your attention. I challenge you, that if you really care for truth and desire truth, ask Jesus to speak to you. Ask Jesus to help you recognize his voice. I dare you, if you found yourself in that cynical pilot place, ask the Lord to replace the lie that there is no truth with the truth of who Jesus is. Everyone who cares for truth, Jesus said, has any feeling for the truth will recognize my voice. Take some time to learn Jesus' voice. The other lie is that we cannot know the way. Again, this is a lie I fall trapped to. I get overwhelmed uh, by life circumstances. Um, Mike, two weeks ago, shared about parenting troubles and how he was overwhelmed with parenting troubles. And he had to learn to trust in Jesus to come to a place of following Jesus and being a good parent. Uh, maybe there are other marriage problems or relationship problems, or maybe there's societal issues. That's how I feel. I get overwhelmed sometimes by the problems in our culture. Um, maybe you have an unresolved health care issue. Thank you, Mike, for praying earlier today for, for people who are, are fighting cancer or other illnesses. Or maybe you're frustrated and you feel stuck at work. And, and sometimes we just throw up our hands in the air and say, I, we, we don't know what to, we cannot know the way. We cannot know how to get through this. Again, this isn't a new problem. <laughs> Again, Jesus' word is so faithful. We have the Bible that tells us stories like these so we can be encouraged. There's a, there's a disciple in the Bible. His name is Thomas, and I love him. Thomas says what we're all thinking. Before, I'm going to go back in time a little bit while Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's going to come when he goes to the cross, and he's having these long conversations with his disciples, and he tells them in John 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas is like, do we? <laughs> do we know where you're going? I don't think so. John 14, 5, he says, no, we don't, Jesus. 
we haven't any idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? I love that. Jesus is right in front of him. And he's like, no, we don't, Jesus. (laughs) And it's in this passage in verse 6 where Jesus says, I am the way, yes, and the truth and the life. And I love what Jesus says a a little bit later in the conversation. In verses 16 through 18, he says, "I, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Other translations say friend counselor, helper, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. It could be the spirit of love. It could be the spirit of justice. It could be the spirit of peace. And and God is all those things. But right here, it's the spirit of truth that's going to advocate for you and be your friend and be your counselor. And here, maybe, maybe here Jesus is preparing them for Pilate. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I love that promise. Jesus, I just praise you right now and thank you for that promise. We're not left clueless and alone to our own devices like orphans. We're not left abandoned. We're not left alone. The Holy Spirit comes to us and says, I'm gonna, I want to dwell inside you. If you will open up your heart to me, I can come inside of you. Don't accept the lie or believe or entertain the lie that we can, you cannot know the way. We have an advocate, a friend, a counselor, and a spirit of truth who wants to dwell inside of us. It's everywhere, promises everywhere in scripture for wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Message translation says, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Whoa, I am that I am, you're on holy ground. And you get to choose, you can see that burning bush, you can see that I am that I am, or you can say, I give up and go. The third lie. Is that belief in Jesus is always easy. It's not, but we think it should be. I have this problem all the time. I think falling, because Jesus promises peace. He promises love. He promises the fruit of his spirit in us is all these really good things. So I think somehow it should be easy, but belief in Jesus is not easy. Moses' journey with God and the Israelites' journey out of Exodus was not easy. The disciples' journeys of faith were not easy. Um, Everyone in the Bible is chock full of doubt and unbelief. And if we believe this lie that it should be easy, the problem is then we give up when it gets hard. That's the problem with it. And we'll think something is wrong with us or with our brother and sister when they doubt. We can be, we can be condemning or accusatory of other people when they struggle with doubt or unbelief. 
here's another cool thing about Jesus is he says to us, don't be troubled, don't be afraid, peace. I'm gonna help you get through this unbelief. I wanna go with you. Another Thomas story. After the resurrection, all of the disciples, no, after the resurrection, a bunch of the disciples had seen Jesus. Think about the, Mary had seen Jesus in the garden. Think about um, Jesus had shown up in a room where all the disciples were and revealed himself and, and breathed on them the breath of the Holy Spirit. So all these disciples had seen Jesus. Some two disciples had seen Jesus on the road to Emmaus. But Thomas gets there and he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> they say to Thomas, they say, we saw the master. And Thomas is like, I don't believe it. (laughs) Says, unless I see the nail holes in his hands and put my fingers in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. Jesus said in John 6, 29, he said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It's work. <laughs> it's work to believe in Jesus. <laughs> if it wasn't work, we wouldn't need that helper, advocate, friend, and counselor dwelling inside of us. <laughs> but it is work. And maybe that's you. Maybe you find yourself like Thomas and all these Christians you know or these people, your friends, that your brothers and sisters say, we've seen the master, we've seen the Messiah. And you're like, oh, I'm not believing it. <laughs> you guys say you've seen the master, but unless I see him, I don't believe it. Here's what's cool. Eight days later, Jesus' disciples are together again and Thomas is with them. How do, we don't know what happened in those eight days. We don't know if Thomas still doesn't believe. We don't know if Thomas is like, I just need to be with friends in my doubting place. But Jesus, Thomas is with the disciples and Jesus shows up. He comes through locked doors. <laughs> and he stands among them and he says, peace be with you. And he focuses his attention on Thomas. And he says, take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be believing. Believe. And then Thomas cries out. He has that revelation. My master, my God. Believing isn't easy but there's grace for you to believe. There's community to help you in your belief process. There's an advocate, there's a counselor, there's a helper to help you along the way. You can do it. I wanna take communion now and I want you to think about these elements. And I love that in communion, I love that Jesus leaves us with this tradition of eating the bread, handling the bread, and drinking um, the, the cup. 
And he gives us something to eat and something to drink. He gives us something to handle. So we can stick our hands in his side and we can imagine his broken body and his shed blood. There were other disciples who after the resurrection, I mentioned them earlier, they were on their way to another town and Jesus starts walking with them and they don't recognize Jesus. They go a whole journey to this town called Emmaus and they don't recognize Jesus. And it says in Luke 24, 30, that it came to pass that as Jesus sat at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were open and they knew him. I just want to invite you today to know the truth of Jesus, to know the I am that I am, to take bread, to take a cup. You can do this alone. It's always better with other people, but it's also good alone. Wherever you are, you can do this. And you can say, open my eyes. I want to see you. I want to touch you. I want to handle you, Jesus. So I want to invite you right now to pause and bow down to God. And not, it can be literal. It can be in your heart, whatever. I just, I bow before you, God. I want to learn the truth of who you are, Jesus. Let's take the bread. Let's take the cup. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. I'd like to finish with a prayer. How odd. Here we go. You can repeat after me if you like. And what we're going to do is we're going to reject those lives and receive truth. So I'm going to leave space for you to repeat, out me, repeat after me because saying things out loud, it has power in the, in, the realm, in the heavenly realms. So in the name of Jesus, I reject the lie that there is no truth. And I embrace the truth of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I reject the lie that I cannot know the way. And I receive a spirit of truth. <laughs> I receive the Holy Spirit, my counselor, advocate, and friend. I reject the lie that belief is easy. And I thank you, Jesus, for mercy with my doubt. And I receive the invitation to touch you, see you, and experience you. Amen.